Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We have a great book to share with you from our friends at Concordia Publishing House today. Sarah might be a little stoked about this one today. Just a little. <laughs> because Sarah might be a hymn nerd, and we're going to talk about <laughs> Lutheran music today. Excited to talk about it. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Our guest today, Dr. Daniel Zaker, author of Lutheran Music and Meaning, available from Concordia Publishing House. He's retired from Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York. Dr. Zaker, welcome to the Coffee Hour. Thank you very much for inviting me. Now, as I reviewed your book in preparation for today, I came up with nearly a million questions, <laughs> and I asked Sarah to pare it down, and she didn't pare it down because she <laughs> wants to ask million questions as well. So we're going to see what all we can cover in this time. Great new book from Concordia Publishing House, Lutheran Music and Meaning. Before we get into the book, we'd like to learn a little bit about you. Tell us about your year serving in academia at uh, Eastman School of Music and as a church musician as well. Well, I'm a musicologist and a, a, a Lutheran organist. Those two things have really been constants in my career. It was a great privilege to work at the Eastman School of Music for 21 years. And I applied my musicological background to shepherding and building one of the great music research collections in North America, namely the Sibley Music Library at the Eastman School of Music. So taking my musicological, music historical background and applying that to the process of, of building a research library collection was really great fun. And I was also welcomed into the musicology department and the organ department at Eastman. And in the organ department, I taught a two-semester sequence of a course called Perspectives in Sacred Music, which was also a, a great privilege for me. So to, to bring together my background as a musicologist and my background as an organist and church musician, I just couldn't have wanted a greater privilege. And speaking of privilege, one last thing to say, one of the great privileges of my career is that I was a member of the hymnody committee that developed Lutheran service book. And all of those trips to St. Louis over the years, meeting with such fabulous colleagues, every one of the members of that committee is a treasured friend of mine. And so that was another great privilege for me to work on Lutheran service book. Oh, you kind of have one of my dream careers, and not not going to lie. It's just so much great stuff about Lutheran music, being able to dig into so many different things and research and the hymns and the hymnal, just great stuff. And your book that, that you wrote with CPH about Lutheran music and hymn, I can't wait to dig in even more into this book. And we could probably talk for three hours. So I'm just going to ask another question. When we talk about music, what what gives music its meaning and how is Lutheran music set apart from other other types of music in the world? That's a great question. What gives music meaning? Books and books and books can be written on that. Seminars <laughs> held for music theorists and musicologists. And just very brief, apart from Lutheran music, we think about, say, programmatic music in the 19th century. So Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, the Pastoral Symphony, takes meaning from a program that accompanies that music. Or when we think about the music dramas of Richard Wagner and the leitmotifs, the, the musical commentary that's woven into his musical dramas, it gives meaning to music. But what's interesting to me most of all is how 
Lutheran music derives its meaning and it's always connected with text. And so what we're doing now is kind of narrowing this down to a particular portion of the larger musical world. And one of the things I did in the book was concoct a melody. It's not a great melody, but I wrote a melody that could be used for a text like, Now Thank We All Our God. It's not a better melody than the one we have. But what I did was wrote a melody and, and, and asked the question, what does this melody mean? And the answer is nothing because it's not connected with a text. So when we talk about Lutheran music, what gives meaning to the music is the union of text and music. And one of the things I wanted to, to really study in my book is how music runs in a parallel track with text. Too often we hear that, well, music is neutral, but doesn't mean anything, because after all, it's just pitches and rhythms. But that's not true. And we have to study Lutheran music, not only from a textual standpoint, what it says, what a hymn text says, what the text of a choral anthem says, but how the music complements that and how the music is fitting with that particular text. So when it comes to Lutheran music, it derives much of its meaning from the union of text and music. I'm just trying to wrap my mind around the idea that someone said that music doesn't have meaning since it's just rhythm and pitch. Yeah. Every music has meaning. It evokes <laughs> something. It, it evokes something, even if we, well, oh boy. All right. So let's talk more about this relationship between text and melody that, that you unpack in your book. Can the associated text change the meaning of a tune or a melody? One of the things I use to illustrate these, this combination of music and text is I, I wrote a, an alternative text for the melody of Silent Night. Now, this is going to sound pretty stupid, but I think it illustrates the, the purpose. So can Silent Night be sung to an Easter text on Easter Sunday? So I made up a text that works perfectly well with the melody of Silent Night. Now, the reason that it doesn't work, of course, is because we learn, we have learned that Silent Night signifies Christmas. It signifies Christmas Eve. We can't simply take another set of words and sing that on Easter Sunday and say, this is really a, a good way to inject music into the Lutheran liturgy, because it's it's not. So there is a union of text and melody, and I have to say it's learned. So if a stranger were to come into one of our congregations, one of our divine services, who had never had anything, any experience at all with Lutheran worship or Christian worship of any type, these kinds of matches of melody and text would be foreign. These are things that are learned. So when we hear a melody that goes something like, if you have spent time at all in Lutheran churches and Christian churches, it's easy to recognize that melody as for all the saints. And it's a hymn that we will sing on All Saints Sunday. So I have, it's important to realize these things are learned over time. And that's always a reminder, I think, that catechesis at whatever level should take into account Lutheran music. 
I know it does in, in Lutheran grade schools of the type I went to. We sang hymns every morning. So catechesis for young folks, catechesis for people who are new to the church, we have to talk about the liturgy of the Western Church, the liturgy of Lutheranism, the divine service, and what that means. We have to talk about music and hymns because these are not things that are just simply grasped out of the air. They are learned. I think it's so interesting talking about where these tunes come from and, and the associated meaning that we have with them because there's a lot of, of hymns in our hymnal that the tunes came from folk songs or, or from other things that weren't necessarily associated with the church. And yet now in our church, like to us, those are hymn tunes, even though that, that isn't actually where they originated from. I find that really interesting. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's an important concept when it comes to folk melodies. There has to be a distance of time between the origin of that folk melody or the place where that melody originated and its use today. So in the book, for example, I mention a hymn text by Timothy Dudley Smith called uh, Of Christ the Same, and it is sung to a melody called Londonderry Air. Well, we know that melody as O Danny Boy. Now, this hymn came to my attention in a 1995 hymnal supplement called With One Voice, that was developed for the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. What's interesting to me is when the ELCA released its new hymnal in 2006, they changed that melody, and they used a wonderful melody by Carl Schulte to replace Londonderry Air or Oh Danny Boy, because that folk melody from Ireland still has associated meaning for many American singers today. It, it, they're going to think, oh, Danny boy, and St. Patrick's Day. I bet you that melody was sung a lot. And so it's not necessarily an appropriate compliment to a sacred text. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned liturgy. How does, how does our hymnody and, and our liturgy help us prepare for worship and, and help us serve the congregation? How does that music serve the congregation in the preaching of the gospel? Well, I think that the, the divine service, the liturgy, is the framework for all of Lutheran music, whether it's hymnody or choral or vocal music or instrumental music. It all resides within the framework of the divine service. One of the things to think about is sometimes we think about music as being preparatory. I've heard the phrase, this, listen to the prelude and let it prepare your heart for worship, which seems to me kind of vague, but there's some truth to it too. So for example, a prelude on organ or piano, for example, can serve to announce one of the hymns that will subsequently be sung within the liturgy. That's an altogether good thing. But more to the point, I think the prelude and the singing of a hymn is more than preparation. It is, in fact, proclamation of the gospel. We are talking with Dr. Daniel Zaker, author of Lutheran Music and Meaning from Concordia Publishing House. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon, 
Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live Uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're talking with Dr. Daniel Zager. He's author of Lutheran Music and Meaning. He's retired from Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York, where he served more than 20 years as associate dean and head of the Sibley Music Library and associate professor of music. The, the book has just been a joy to, to read through and learn more about Lutheran music when just when you think you know a lot about Lutheran music and then there's so much more to learn. We were talking about how Lutheran music prepares the congregation. You shared some examples in the book to help us understand a little bit more how Lutheran music helps prepare us, prepare our hearts, our minds for worship, even before the service begins, even before the invocation. How can that, the music before the service, help prepare the congregation to hear God's word? Well, this coming Sunday, for example, one of the hymns in our service is going to be, Lord, take my hand and lead me. And I'm going to play a prelude on that hymn composed by John Banke, published by Concordia Publishing House. It's really a, a, what I really love about that particular piece is that the melody is readily perceptible. And that's something that has always been important to me as a church musician, and more particularly as an organist. What I want the congregation to be able to do as I play a prelude on the organ is to hear a melody that they are about to sing so that it becomes preparatory to be sure, but also proclamatory. Because when they hear that melody, I am actually, or, or the composer, the performer, we are together actually speaking that text in a sense and bringing it to the attention of a singing congregation. So the perceptible melody within organ or piano music as a prelude or part of the service is to me essential and and really quite important. So listening to music before a service, listening to the the preludes before the hymns, even while we're singing, I suppose we're still listening. What are some some ways we can listen better, some active listening things we can be doing to really pay attention to what's happening in the music? One of the things that would really give me a thrill is when I see people opening their hymnals during the music of the prelude, because the bulletin states that this is going to be a setting of the hymn, Lord, Take My Hand and Lead Me by John Banke. And so people open to that hymn and they follow the text while I play the prelude. So it's it's not so much listening to me as a performing musician, really not at all. What it's really about is letting that prelude by John Banke really state the hymn tune and then connect to the text, which people can read while the music is being played. So I, I, I love to kind of push that concept that even while the prelude is being played, the hymnal is a really important part of that proclamation process. We've talked a bit about the the practical application. I want to go back to some more of the history. You share some great history in your book as well. And I want to go back to the early days of Lutheran music. Who were some of the key figures 
in Lutheran music, particularly from the Reformation, the Lutheran Reformation on, who are some of the key figures and the, the stories that, that really show us their impact on Lutheran music today? Well, one of the things we tend to overlook, I suppose, in terms of music is just how key Martin Luther's love for music is and how that is affected us 500 years later. When he wrote, for example, that the gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man to let him know that he should praise God with both word and music by proclaiming the word of God through music, Luther set a tone that is still being applied today. So he couples word and music and says that that is the way we praise God through word and music by proclaiming the word of God. So when I talk about praise, praise always involves proclamation. And that's because Luther set us on that particular course. So one of the first hymns he published in 1524 was his great hymn, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice. And I've sometimes made people smile by saying, this is the original praise hymn, because in, in Luther's way of thinking about it, in fact, it is. Over 10 stanzas, we recount the story of salvation. And that is, in fact, according to Luther, the way that we praise God by telling the story of his salvation given to us as a free gift. So Luther really set the tone. And then if I can go on just a little bit further in terms of the late 16th century, early 17th century, Michael Praetorius, one of the great Lutheran cantors of all time, enormously productive as a composer and as a writer about music. It's interesting that Praetorius's father worked with Johann Walter. Johann Walter was Luther's right-hand man as a composer and as a musician. So you have this line of descent from Luther to Walter, Praetorius's father, and then to Michael Praetorius himself. And in the book, I, I do try to open a window on Michael Praetorius. Luther talked about word and music being combined. Michael Praetorius did the same thing. He used the two Latin words, concio and cancio. Concio, the spoken word. Cancio, the sung word. Luther and Praetorius both bring together the spoken word and the sung word. They work together. Let's talk a little bit more about the Reformation. I love learning about all of the things that Martin Luther did with music during this time, the, you know, the, the Deutsche Messe and having hymns in the, the language of the people. What else or what, what other roles did music play in the Reformation to help spread this, all of these things that Martin Luther was teaching? What's interesting, I think, about Luther is that fairly early on in the, in the early 1520s, he's realizing that the people can sing. So in 1523, with his Latin Mass, he kind of appended a comment and said, and the people could sing during Mass. And then, Sarah, as you referred to in 1524, the Deutsche Messe, he used hymn kind of substitutes for the ordinary of the Mass. And so we get a fabulous hymn like Isaiah, Mighty Seer, and Days of Old as a Sanctus hymn. And so Luther was 
injecting hymns into the journal liturgy and even singing and, and suggesting that people could sing in the vernacular even during the Latin liturgy. And he was very intent on preserving both. He wanted both the Latin liturgy and a German liturgy because he was, he was, he cared a lot about the, the children and he wanted people to learn Latin. So he didn't want to give up on the formula misse on the Latin mass. Are there any misunderstandings about Lutheran music or Luther and music of the Reformation? I think there are, and these are sometimes what I call the myths that refuse to die. One of them is that Luther was very much open to music from taverns or bars. The other one, the other myth that kind of refuses to die, is Luther supposedly saying, why should the devil have all the good tunes? And Luther never said that. That quote is correctly attributed to an English person, Roland Hill, in the late 18th, early 19th century. It's just important to realize that Luther, they try to portray Luther as being open to secular music of his time. And yet he writes this, and he writes it about Johann Walter's music, the man I just mentioned. He said, Walter's music is arranged in four parts to give the young who should at any rate be trained in music and the other fine arts, something to wean them away from love ballads and carnal songs and to teach them something of value in their place. That's not, those are not the words of somebody who said, let's let all kinds of secular music come into the Lutheran divine service. That, that was really not Luther's intent. One other thing I might mention is that his wonderful Christmas text from heaven above to earth I come, when it first appeared printed in 1535, it was coupled to a secular tune. Four years later, it was published in another hymnal, and Luther had at this point written his own tune for from heaven above to earth I come. Now, we don't know that he was saying it's because I don't want a secular tune, or it could be just that he wanted to write his own tune. He was a good composer, but it's also possible that he didn't want his text sung to a secular tune. Hmm. Let's put that one to bed once and for all. So if all of these tunes that people say that Martin Luther got from bars, where did those actually come from? Well, a lot of the tunes that we connect with Martin Luther are tunes that he wrote. For example, From Heaven Above or The Fortress is Our God. He also took tunes from earlier, but from the church. And so, for example, he could draw on a Latin tune that had been sung earlier, and he could take something like, we, we think of the hymn for, uh, for Advent, Nun komm der Heiden Heiland, Savior of the Nations Come. It comes from an earlier Latin tune, which Luther adopted for use with a German text. Lastly, with just about a minute, which really we need about two more hours, <laughs> the, the role of music in the divine service and what does that mean for the congregation? What's the congregation's role in music in the divine service? Well, they are singers and they are listeners. And what I hope this book does is appeals to the singers and listeners in our congregation. I'm writing it not for fellow cantors, organists, musicologists, but really for people who sit in the pews and sing and listen. 
And I hope it gives people a sense that this singing, this listening is all part of proclamation, all part of the divine service where God gives his gifts freely to us. Lutheran Music and Meaning from Concordia Publishing House. Our guest today, Dr. Daniel Zager. Thank you so much, Dr. Zager, for spending some time with us. Thanks for this great new book, too. Thank you. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.